0: If you are thinking that you'd rather not even have a board, which I've heard throughout my career, you're really missing out because boards, through research, we know that an effective nonprofit board really will enhance the performance of your nonprofit, whatever your financial model is. So the first thing is boards are valuable. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons.
1: Hi, this is Lindsay Simons, your host of the Creating Community for Good podcast. Today's episode is about the ins and outs of nonprofit boards. If you're a board member, a board manager, or curious about nonprofit leadership, this episode is for you. A nonprofit is managed by a board, which means that the executive director, CEO, and any other paid leadership is managed by this body of people serving as nonprofit board members. Board members are charged with envisioning the future, advancing the mission, inspiring others, and managing excellence. Of course, fiduciary duties as well. In the next half hour or so, we'll zero in on how to unleash the potential of nonprofit boards. Some of the key takeaways include a three-step process to recruit the best members for your board as a nonprofit, how to properly orient your board and the three duties they are meant to accomplish, and the power of intrinsic motivation and how treating your board candidates as possible donors will increase your recruiting success overall. Welcome to the Creating Community for Good podcast. We're dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind, with the intention to inform, inspire, and involve. Let's begin.
2: Hi everybody, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited about my guest today. She is a friend of a friend who we've swapped stories and experiences with leadership over the phone recently, and I'm just so excited to have her here. She is a leader in the nonprofit sector. She's got over 40 years of experience. And for 26 of those years, she was an executive of a small nonprofit organization. It was about a $100,000 budget. And then over time, she led it and she grew it to be one of the largest nonprofits in the Bay Area with over 530 staff members and a budget of $26 million. She is a veteran CEO and executive she serves nonprofit boards she has been the chairwoman of boards and she's a leadership and executive coach and consultant to nonprofits specifically focusing on their highest level of leadership and volunteers as well this is mary highland she's a phd and she is also a speaker a published author and a researcher mary you have a very incredible and exciting bio is there anything that i've missed
0: Oh, nothing that, that matters that much. I think I read the highlights. That's fine. We'll put more in the, the show notes about. for those who are yeah.
2: interested to see what books you've been published in and to learn more about your services and consulting.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, Mary, I'm interested in understanding what are some of the best strategies for board management, recruiting, retention? Your wheelhouse is in in that space. I want to hear from you. What are some of the lessons learned? This show is all about creating community for good. The folks who are listening are board members, they're donors, they're executive directors, they're fundraisers. And um, engaging with the board is critical at every level. So give me an orientation to how you see the role of the board. And... You know how you can really help to make them a singing community, singing from one same songbook to be effective for an organization
0: well, that's covering an awful lot of territory but let's <laughs> let's dive into that. I think that the first thing I'd like to say about this is that boards really matter. I think that in the nonprofit sector, especially you executives out there, if you are thinking that you'd Rather not even have a board, which I've heard throughout my career, you're really missing out because boards, through research, we know that an effective nonprofit board really will enhance the performance of your nonprofit. And they do that by helping you make better decisions, by engaging the community and leveraging you as an executive and the volunteers in your nonprofit by helping you have a powerful reputation, you know, that can work against you the other way. I'm sure we've all read stories about boards misbehaving. Mm -hmm. And by bringing in resources, which, you know, Lindsay, you know all about that, that the board has a role in helping with that, whatever your financial model is. So the first thing is boards are valuable. It's really all about relationships, but the function of the board, I think of governance is leadership. There's a good book out there called Governance as Leadership, but it really is leadership. And there are kind of four leadership functions when I get in front of boards and talk about what the roles and responsibilities are. I mean, there's some legal things we could talk about, but the four leadership functions are first to envision the future. You know, that's what we expect leaders to do. And that's what good boards do with their executives, if they have them, is envision that future. It's not just about the status quo. It's about how do we advance this mission. Second thing is you got to know where you are though, right? You got to know where you're starting. You got to know reality and you got to respond to that. So there's a tension between where you want to go and where you are, But that's the leadership opportunity is to work together to figure out how are we going from A to B. The third thing, of course, is engaging the community, inspiring others. You're not a leader if nobody's following you. You know, you've got a vision, you want to go somewhere. You've got to be able to get people to go there with you and to invest in helping you get there. And then the fourth is something that I don't think boards think about very often, and I don't think leaders think about very often, and that is self-management and reflection. And so one of the key functions of the board is to say, how are we doing to assess themselves? And then to create a team, you know, not just a group of people who show up once a month for a meeting. But to say, how do we become a cohesive leadership team? Mm -hmm. And that involves some work. And back to what you were talking about, it involves good processes for recruiting the right people, orienting them, which is really most of the time not done, in terms of orienting them to governing roles versus what your nonprofit's all about. And other team building kinds of activities and you know, renewal and all these things that make effective teams. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to what should a board be doing. And there's more to it, of course.
2: Yeah, of course. That's a good overview, though. I have been told that my questions are often multiple questions in one. So thanks for (laughs) keeping me honest. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm working with an organization who's aspiring to grow their board. And they're really in a challenging position of determining how to recruit board members because they're a very small organization. Do you have tips and strategies for nonprofits who are serving a small community and have a great need? And how do they recruit and appeal to those in the community to become leaders and stewards of organizations that they are not themselves benefiting from directly? How do you create that?
0: Well, I will say this is really true for every nonprofit. And I have worked with small nonprofits and larger nonprofits on recruiting. And if people want to contact me, I do have a system for that. And I have some information on that and an online course people can take. But there's three key steps that I see are missing when people try to recruit. And the first one is mindset, you know, and this gets in the way. If you start with, there's nobody out there. We can't find the people we need. When I've done webinars on this and I've asked the people listening, does this sound familiar to you? I get a lot of positive response that if you are starting your recruitment process without a strong belief that you're going to find the people you need and want. You are, but you've got to believe that first. So I actually think you you need to go through a deliberate process with your board that says, what are you thinking when you think about recruiting? Do you have any concerns? What, what's coming up for you? Get it out there. And then make it visible what you are believing about the process and turn it around and turn those things. I worked with a small nonprofit in my own community here and we actually turned some of those things into affirmations. And I said, go home and say these affirmations and that may be woo-woo to you, but later they recruited, within six months they recruited four brand new people who were exactly what they needed very connected in the community. And this was a nonprofit that didn't even have money for staff. So that was part of it. The second thing that I think people don't think about is, is how to prepare for recruiting. You really do need to be clear about your expectations of people. You need to know who do you need You know, what are your strategic goals? What are the competencies and the connections and the contribution and the things that you need so that you're all clear what you need? And that takes some time and effort to make sure you've got that infrastructure with your board in place, that you've all agreed, how many meetings do we expect people to attend? How much money do we expect them to give? Not all boards have these conversations purposefully, especially small ones. So I think those kinds of things are important. And and of course, there's more to that. But the one thing that I did when I was an executive, and I see executives do, and I learned the hard way, it was a mistake, is we sell our nonprofits. We approach people in the community first with how how wonderful we are, why they should want to be a part of our nonprofit. We're passionate about our missions. We talk about what we need, how great the need is, and on and on and on about the nonprofit itself. That's a mistake, that your first job, and this is true, I'm sure, you know, I'd like to hear your thoughts, Lindsay, with with fundraising, is your first job is to get to know other people, to get to know them. Because if you get to know them and you say, you know, what are you interested in? Do you want to be a part of something? What would that look like to you? What do you care about? You're going to be able then, if there is a match, to talk about the dimensions of your nonprofit that match what they're interested in. Because sometimes people get excited because you're so excited and they'll say yes, and then they get on your board and it's like, well, you know. And, and they start to fade away. So you want people who are going to stick. And that means you've really got to get to know them first. And then you can tell them about who you are and why you think that you have something to offer them as an experience. So I realize that's not probably the typical cold calling, but we can talk a little more about that because there's a few more things. But
2: no, I love that. I I'm sort of laughing over here because I was working with an executive director and just last week or maybe the week before I said, you know, board recruitment, same with donor recruitment, is making sure it's imagined. It's sort of like dating. And exactly yes. what you said. You're not just pitching yourself, but you're inquiring if it's truly gonna meet their needs and hit on their motivators, their key motivators. Yes. And asking high value questions that helped to suss out what is the deeper value that individuals have in A, serving on a board, or B, being a significant philanthropic partner. Because as you said so well, you really don't want to just pitch yourself and become this shiny object that's, yay, 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 so fun. And then they get on there and they're not really actually intrinsically motivated. They were just allured by that excitement or enthusiasm. Absolutely. And then they bid off and it, then you've got to do a whole work of recruitment all over again, just like staff recruitment, which it, we all know it costs so much money and time to recruit partners. So in nonprofits, yes. it's better to have a few very strong partners, whether they're employees, board members, donors, than having the masses.
0: That's right. So true. And I love that intrinsic motivation that is is really, really important because you don't want to get someone on your board who has expectations that then you're not going to be able to meet. Or maybe they come on because they think they're going to fix something where mm. you're a nonprofit and you don't want them to change that particular thing. So that's really, really important. Yeah. I think the other challenge with recruiting is that people think and this is one of the beliefs, you know, there's nobody out there. Board members don't have to know everybody that you need to recruit. And this part, I think sometimes people don't like to hear from me because the idea of cold calling is not very appealing.
2: Tell me more. How, How do you do that? What's your strategy?
0: Well, it's about, you know, number one, if you don't know people and the executive says, well, you know, my board member says they don't know anybody who meets our criteria. Well, then you stop and you're stuck. Well, the re- you need to ask the next question. Who would know somebody who meets this criteria? Say we need a finance person on the board. We don't have anybody. We need that expertise to be overseeing some of our financial strategies for helping us develop strong financial strategies. And you, nobody on the board knows anybody. Well, there's two mistakes, so I'm going to take a little side note here. One is that you think, oh, that's got to be a, a, an accountant. You know, small business people, people who run businesses, they need to know about money. They need to know about finances. So I would first encourage you to broaden your view. If you need a certain kind of expertise, don't think it's only one profession, that there's only one source of that expertise. But let's say that's what you're looking for and nobody has any personal connections. Well, you start saying, who would know people like that? Where could we talk to someone who may know someone? And the idea here is that you are going to call that person and ask them for a referral. So, for example, when I was CEO, we wanted to recruit a more diverse board. And right after our merger, we had a very small board and and they were all white. And it was like, we need to be more diverse. We serve a very diverse community. And I went to another nonprofit leader in our community who they used a lot of volunteers in their work. And I said, you know, my board doesn't feel they're connected to communities of color. We really value what people can bring is there somebody that you could introduce us to who is connected who given our mission might help us find someone who would be interested in our work and that worked and we ended up with five names of people in this case it was the African American community and we approached people and said you know are are you interested tell us what you might be interested in what nonprofits and missions you care about. And some said, well, not really, but I know somebody. And it's that networking process where you're realizing you're not asking everybody you're talking to to be the one, but you're asking them to help you. And people want to help, my experience. They want to help you find who you need.
2: Do you usually go out with job descriptions or do
0: you keep it lighter and more of an exploratory? Lighter. You know, people say, well, what should I take? What's the packet I should take with me when I'm talking? And I say, none, do not take. That comes later. Remember, you're going out to get to know this person and find out who they are. You know, if anybody's bringing a packet, it should be them, but you're not going to ask them for that. But no, you're not selling your nonprofit at this point. This initial meeting is just getting acquainted just getting acquainted. And then at the end of the meeting, you can say, you know, here's our mission. Here's, here's what we do. Are you interested at all in the possibility of supporting what we're doing in this way? And then you set up other ways to have them learn about you, touch your mission, and then you would get into later, here's a little more information. But it's not all happening in one meeting. You know, it takes time. It takes time.
2: Do you ever invite somebody to be on the board before they've made a
0: philanthropic gift? Oh, well, y- yes. It depends on your financial model. You know, you and I have talked before, Lindsay. I was running a nonprofit that had a lot of government money. We didn't have a huge part of our budget that was contributions or, you know, we had grants, of course, but we, did a type of service that was very commonly contracted by local governments, counties, and and mostly the counties because it was mental health services. So that was not, I mean, we wanted people to give and we expected every board member to make a contribution, but that was not a a big significant amount of our financial model. So that was not a precursor criteria. But that's where the conversation about what do we expect that when you get to the point where you're saying, we would really like you to consider being on our board, here's what that means. And be sure you're telling them. It means you make a cash gift every year. If that's, if you're fundraising at all, that's got to be a criteria. Now, how much that is, you know, I don't have personally have any rules or give advice about that. But okay. I do say that if you're asking anybody else in the community for money, the board has to give money. So that's really important.
2: Yeah. Great. That's that's so interesting because we are both consultants, nonprofits, working with the highest level of either leadership paid for or volunteers and such different experiences, but they all meet in the middle. And and it really goes back to creating relationships that are long-lasting fits. Being subjective, really, to what does your organization need? Not as many blanket recommendations. One size doesn't fit all. Every organization is so, so different.
0: That's right. And you need... There's some things you need in your board members that are going to be true for everybody. You need commitment to your mission. You can't teach that. You need character. You know, you got to pay attention to that. Think about what has this person done in the community? How do they, you know, are, are they involved in giving anywhere? You know, not money necessarily, but of themselves. Those are things that are non-negotiables, the character and the commitment. And then you, you have certain competencies you need at any particular time. You definitely need contribution. That's one that you you need people to give their time and talent, how much of their money you need them to give. But that's really a non-negotiable as well as the contribution. And compatibility. You need ways to figure out how they're going to fit on your board team. How do you gel a
2: community? Do you do certain exercises that really get that sticky power of, we want to be together, we want to come to the meetings in person, we don't want to just phone it in? How do you create that allure of connectivity
0: Well, I think the first thing is to make sure, you know, I don't do all that kind of work with boards, but is when you're creating a group or a team, you know, it, again, it comes back to relationship, getting to know each other. If you've got people coming to a board meeting, you've got a packed agenda. They say hi and goodbye. And that's the only opportunity they have to get to know each other or spend time together. Big mistake. They are not going to be a team. You have to build trust first to have a good team. And that means you have to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to always have, always do this, but you don't do it every time. Have social time Mm -hmm. where people can get to know each other and it isn't just about business and it isn't just about your nonprofit. So that's important. The other thing is to remind people why they're there. The one thing they all have in common should be your mission. And it's emotional. You know, it's not usually intellectual for board members. You know, when I get in front of boards and I say, "Do you did you join this board because you're passionate about governing? Nobody raises their hand. Well, one person who was an attorney with a specialization in governance raised their hand. But nobody raises their hand. They're passionate about the mission. And so it's that personal connection that you can help people make. by getting to know them and asking them, why are you here? And to share that with each other, as well as just spending time in other ways.
2: Yeah. Do you have recommendations on how often boards should meet and what the relationship should look like between the executive
0: director and the board? I definitely have that. First off, though, the question about how often to meet. We know that effective boards are effective teams, again, and I know there are exceptions to this, but I think that if a board is meeting quarterly, it's really hard to stay connected. I would say that's not often enough. Beyond that, I think it's about what do you need and how active are committees, how are you connecting to each other and engaging in decision-making. Now, some very large nonprofits that are national, maybe the boards don't need to meet that often. It really depends on the strategic issues, but there isn't any magic number. Research shows that the frequency doesn't necessarily impact the results the organization's getting. The relationship. This is something that I did a deep dive research on was the relationship between the chair of the board and the executive director. but I strongly feel and research supports that the executive is a leadership partner with the board. I'm not suggesting executives should be on the board, voting members of the board. I don't recommend that for a variety of reasons, but that's not a good idea. If you, I've had executives say to me, well, I'm a peer then. And if I'm not on the board, they won't look at me that way. Well, you're not working on the right relationship then. Because you don't need to have a position to be a partner. You need a relationship to be a partner. And I think, that executives need to have a very strong leadership partnership with their board. You're the leadership team and the executive's part of the team. They're just not part of the board technically, in my opinion.
2: Okay. I like that.
0: Yeah. So in fact, for recruiting, as we were saying, I tell boards and executives, if the the executive director does not feel comfortable with a particular candidate, they're off the list. Because that relationship of the executive with the board is so critical, Mm -hmm. so critical. You don't want tensions or conflicts to be getting in the way of the work you need to do together. Mm -hmm. How many board members do you usually recommend is the right number? (laughs) This is also the question that gets asked. How often should we meet? How big do we need to be? Again, there's no research on composition saying this size is ideal, but in the nonprofit sector, but there is research about teams. Mm. So when we go back to look at a team and say, what's an optimal size for a team, that research says nine to 12. So there are boards that are even smaller and, you know, board source research shows year after year that boards are starting to get smaller, but the average board in the United States has 15 people. I think now is what board source last research showed. I think that if everyone is active and engaged, having a smaller board, even down to six could work. But again, you want people connected and there's a lot for board members to do Mm -hmm. in terms of leveraging the leadership and relationships. So I think that Nine to 12 is kind of a sweet spot, but you can't really hold me to that because there's no evidence to say other than teams that that is more effective. I think when you start to get over, well, I think it's a stretch even at 20, how can you know each other? How can you be connected? If I was running a meeting as a board chair with 20 people around the table, making sure all the voices were heard, making sure everyone was engaged, that's a lot more challenging. So the quality maybe of your work on committees, you can have a lot of non-board members on your committees. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to build the capacity of your board without them having to be in the boardroom making all the final decisions.
2: Right. Well, it's interesting because you interviewed me about capital campaigns and steering committees and I had roughly the same number in mind as anyone from seven to 15 is a great number for a steering committee. But then that you might have campaign members that would make up the rest of maybe another 10, 20, 30 individuals right. at a time. So it's the same structure that you're talking about that they're volunteers, they're dedicated, but they're not the key decision makers. Because right. it can be typical if there are too many cooks in the kitchen.
0: Yeah. And the you more relationships it. you have, the more social capital you have, the better for your nonprofit. But nurturing and developing and keeping really good relationships takes time.
2: It does take time. It really does. How much time do you think an executive director should be dedicating towards going out to coffees or having phone calls with the board members in addition to the
0: meetings? This is a great question. Well, in addition to meetings, let me just say all together, including meetings, I say 20 to 25% of your time. And most executives balk at that, but the reality is, you need to invest both in those relationships individually, which, you know, is kind of the one-on-one thing. You need to invest in relationships as a group with them. And this, this is your team. You know, you may, if you have executive staff, you wouldn't think about not meeting with them on a regular basis or spending time with them. So it's really important that you invest in time with your board and your board members. And I think a lot of executives underestimate that and they don't do it. I know executives who, it it was like six months new on the job, six months before they even met some of the people on their board. I was really, really surprised about that.
2: Oh, that's so interesting. I I feel like I've seen the other way around where people are the executive directors are meeting the board members before they
0: even get hired. Well, that should be true. But sometimes that's a committee. It isn't the whole board. Oh, yeah, you're right. In this case, that was the situation. But that is not okay. No, yeah. not okay.
2: Yeah. Well, and they are your foot soldiers, right? They're the ones who are out in the community advocating for you in businesses that you're not in the executive director is really focused on their, their one mission in running that operation. And the arms of the nonprofit, the board
0: members, volunteers, they're your spokespeople. So right. just so- They're also your boss, for heaven's sakes. Do you want <laughs> well, to have a relationship <laughs> with them? You know, you don't want surprises and they don't want surprises. So you want to understand where they're coming from. Do they have concerns? What are their questions? How are they feeling about their volunteer work? You need to be nurturing your relationship with them in a very special way. And it can be awkward because of their role, but not, no one of them individually has any authority over you, including the board chair, which sometimes people think the board chair is the boss of the executive. That is not true. Mm-hmm. That is not true. In fact, I think it's also probably not even consistent with the law. I've seen it in a bylaw or two and it's a big mistake because I don't think it's consistent with the corporate law about what the role of a director is mm-hmm. and how boards work. But mm-hmm. I'm not an attorney, so <laughs> you know, I'm there.
2: I love it. Well, we are nearing the end of our time. What have I not asked you? You are a total expert <laughs> on boards. I've gotten through some of the, the numbers and some of the nuances, but what else is there
0: that I have? Well, there is a lot. But I would just like to say one thing that I I do get concerned about. And that is, even when you're bringing people on the board, orienting them to what it means to be a board member is so important. And I'm not talking about orienting them to what it means, what your nonprofit does and is. Everybody does a pretty good job of that. But several years ago, I did some research with boards and found that 75% of the people said they had never had a formal orientation to what it really means to be a board member, including the three legal duties, which are in the United States case law. And people who'd been on boards for 20 years didn't know that. What are they? What are Oh, duty of care, duty of obedience, and duty of loyalty. And Duty of care means you got to come and show up and participate in decisions. Duty of loyalty means, you know, you have to put the interests of the organization ahead of your own. And there's rules about conflict of interest and stuff that are in there. You could have a a conflict, but you got to disclose. So there's a whole lot of stuff about that. And duty of obedience is just that you must act consistent with your mission and the law. And that means different things for different nonprofits. But those are individual responsibilities that are in the law and people don't know it. So it isn't just that, there's a lot of other things, but if you don't want your board micromanaging you, if you don't want your board delving into the day-to-day operations, they need to know what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. And they'll go there if they don't. And think that, They're just kind of trying to figure out where they can add value. So you want to be very intentional and purposeful about that. So anyway, that's kind of one thing I see a lot. That Just a final tip.
2: No, I love that. And I want to make sure folks have resources. So you have online trainings, you have white papers, you've got a blog that I think you said you just hit 55
0: maybe guess. Oh, well, the, pod? the, the podcast is... I'm a little Podcasts more active in the notes. podcast than I am on the, the blog. Yeah, I just put out the 54th episode. So we have that. So, so we'll
2: include that in the show notes. Okay. And I want people to go to you for that. And then also, what are the other resources out there? Source, I heard you mention, and I love Source as well. What else are you seeing as national resources?
0: Oh boy, there are so many different ones. I'm kind of blanking now that you asked me. It kind of depends on what the need is, what the issue is. If you're really basic and you want to look for some sample things, sometimes I send people to, I think it's management, nonprofitmanagement.com. I'd have to go look again. I apologize. But the guy's name is McNamara. And he's got a PhD and he has a website that's got a whole library of free things. But if you just search, there's a lot that's out there. I would yes. be cautious, but there's a lot. And one that I just learned about is nonprofit.courses. It's actually not a .com. It's nonprofit.courses. And there's all kinds of free courses there for you to go learn about and explore. And there's some to buy, you know, it's like if you really want more in-depth for quality, you do need to pay, but there's a lot of free stuff there. Mm -hmm. A lot of free stuff there too. And folks can find
2: you, highlandconsulting.org.
0: .org, .org, yeah. And the the name is H-I-L-A-N-D consulting.org. Right. Right. Find me there. There's a talk with Mary. I give free consultation. So if you want to chat about something, go there. And go there. It, well, and that's a separate URL that you can use that's faster is talkwithmary.com. But if you go to my website, there's a tab for connecting with me.
2: Terrific. Well, thank you, Mary. I try to end every podcast with an opportunity for the guests to give a shout out or spread the love to an organization, an individual or cause that you want to highlight. Is there anyone
0: or... Anything that you would highlight? Oh my, well, I guess what comes to mind is is my own roots in mental health. And just to encourage you to particularly, this is an area where there's a lot of stigma, there still is, encourage you to seek out in your own community, nonprofits that are serving people who are seriously mentally ill and nonprofits that are working to eliminate stigma. There are different ones in different communities, so I will just say that rather than, you know, I have a lot of clients and a lot of nonprofit fans. I don't want to pick just one, but that is a cost that's very close to my heart, and I think is very important.
2: It is important, and thank you for saying that. I am a member of Battery Powered, and I think we distributed 1.2 million to five, no, ten different nonprofits working in mental health. And wow, I can agree more with you. It's mental health is such an important cause across the globe, but especially in urban communities like in the Bay Area where we live. That's right. That's um, right. Thank you, Mary. You're a wonderful guest. You're a wealth of knowledge. I'm so excited to share what you've shared with me with
0: our Well, thank you, Lindsay, for having me. And I'm excited that you're on my podcast because you have a lot of wisdom also to share and experience. So people can go listen to you there.
2: <laughs> That's good. I love it. Well, we'll cross promote. It's nice. It's yes. nice Thanks to have other experts and friends in the field. So thank you, Mary.
0: It is. And thank you. Bye bye. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com, to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or would like to be a guest, I'm happy to connect with you about that as well go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com or send me a note at lindsaysimmonsconsulting.com Thank you and have a good day.